It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling Gulf Coast is the inspirational voice of Gulf Coast fishing and conservation. Hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist, conservationist, and flounder revolutionary, Chester Moore. Be ready for a relentless pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of fishing adventure. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. This is Chester Moore. I'm actually doing this live, not live, but actually in like on the ground at South Padre Island here at the uh, convention center. And uh, man, it's really awesome down here. I haven't been down here in a long time and uh, went out and messed around the jetties a day. And then I messed up and saw a tarpon. And that got me to like obsessed. Like, so I'm watching out there casting and thinking, man, it's going to be a tarpon. But there were pinfish that hit every bit as hard as most tarpon. I swear today, it was nuts down there. So even the pinfish and the piggies and everything get big down here. Beautiful part of the world here, the, the southern tier of the Texas part of the lower Laguna Madre, right by hypersaline South Bay and got beautiful Florida-like beaches. And, um, of course, if Chester Moore shows up at a beach, it ain't to look around, ain't to surf. It's the fish. So uh, we're down here to talk about fishing, and I always love talking to guides from area, and I got two really awesome guys right here, Captain Brian Barrera and Captain Luis Flandes III. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Hey, how you doing? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to start with uh, Brian first. Uh, tell us a little bit about your guide service and kind of what you specialize in here. Sure, sure. Um, I've been guiding out here for about seven years now, mainly... Uh, a lot of the stuff we do is redfish, trout, and flounder. Mm -hmm. You know, mainly redfish and trout out in the shallow flats, throwing artificial lures, mm -hmm. uh, jig heads, popping corks, things like that, trying to um, catch, you know, catch and release big, very big trout and uh, some quality fish to take home and eat if that's what you want to do as well. Um, my favorite, of course, and one of the few of the things that I'm probably more known for is uh, snook fishing. Mm -hmm. I love to catch snook. I love to catch big tarpon. Um, nothing like huge 150-pound tarpon jumping out of the water 10 foot in front of your flats boat, you know. That's uh, just a whole nother experience. And, you know, the snook, they pull really hard. They jump a lot. You know, I, I grew up doing a lot of bass fishing when I was a kid. Yeah, me and, too. And, you know, snook are just like bigger, meaner, cooler bass that pull way harder and make you say a lot more bad words. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, I'm bigger and meaner, and I like that. That's awesome. Yep, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, they hang out in the same kind of places. You skip docks for these snook. You know, mm -hmm. you uh, fish riprap for them and, uh, you know, grassy edges and all kinds of things like that. And you throw the same kind of lures and same kind of things, and they can be picky like a bass is mm -hmm. uh, the thing that makes me think about them, you know, going together is, you know, sometimes they don't want it this way, don't want it that way. They want it this certain color, this certain wear, this certain time of day. They're either eating everything or they're eating nothing sometimes. You yeah, know? very bass-like. Uh, yeah, and that's why I just, uh, I've just i just grown out onto those those snook and the, and the tarpon. All right, yeah. Luis, tell us about uh, what you got going on here in Lower Laguna Madre, Padre yeah. Island area. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, well, it's obviously, you know, you've heard good things about our redfish and trout fishing. And, sure. And that's kind of like the most sought after fish as far as the, most mm -hmm. of the people that come down to fish down mm -hmm. here so I, I focus a lot on the redfish and the trout you know redfish is uh, special to me because i just love love everything about them you know you hook up to a redfish and it seems like every time someone hooks one they just forget about everything and uh, the redfishing is something that really everybody wants to do out here because you know you can get a bunch of them and they're all pretty good size they pull hard and um, yeah, it's just good fun all around for them so 
Another thing is the trout. You know, our speckled trout is pretty good, and we can get into areas where we're catching lots of keeper trout, good size, you know, 17, 18, 20-inch trout, and then you can get lucky and uh, run into a, tw a 27, 30-inch trout or something like that. And it's just it's just been really good. Obviously, lately it's been a little, you know, with with the freeze yeah. and stuff, but it, they're starting to come back pretty good. So I'm seeing a bunch of them, and uh, it's it's been pretty good now the redfish and trout so i like to stick to that and and uh put people on that 95 percent of my people that come down and visit me on south padre are all tourists sure so you know i show them out and try to have a good time and put them on fish to where the whole kid the kids and the whole family can have a good time you know where it's not just something that you know the adults can do and but it's it's for everybody so it's, well and that's a beautiful thing about like redfish for example i mean the redfish can be snooty sometimes but most of the time, if you get close enough and you're an experienced guide, you can probably put someone in a pretty high opportunity if you see the fish or get onto them to right. get a hookup. And right. if someone's never caught a redfish before, you know, maybe they've been at Grandma's Pond catching a few channel cats. That's cool. Yeah. Looking to a redfish is a different story, huh? Oh, yeah. Most of the time, you know, I've got guys that come in from up north, you know, from Wisconsin mm -hmm. or other areas where they target, target walleye and stuff like that. And those are good fish. I hear lots of good thing, things about them. Mm -hmm. But when they hook a, tr a redfish, you know, it's like, whoa, like they've been missing out on something their whole life, and they just realized that this is like, this is awesome. They love the fishing down here, and you can tell it just, they get hooked once they hook a redfish, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to start with you, Luis, and we're going to go to Brian. Um, sure. In terms of this time of year, we're here in that transition from late spring into early summer. Uh, what are some of the key patterns in terms of, let's say, redfish, speckled trout, and then we'll get to snook a little bit later, mm -hmm. that are happening in this kind of transition time of year? Yeah, well, like you said, this is a tra transition. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going from the spring into the summer, and uh, that, that does change, you know, during the, the spring, and, and we still have a lot of, like, north winds, cold fronts coming mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. and that means a lot. Down here, you know, we rely a lot on the wind sometimes, and we have different wind directions happening, and that changes a lot in our bay. You know, we have miles and miles of grass flats for, for you can literally get off and walk for miles everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important to have some wind to cover ground because you can't necessarily just stop and drop a line right down on the side of the boat. You know, you rely on that wind to push you mm -hmm. into these fish and sneak into them sort of. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to figure out what the wind's doing. So during this transition, it's, uh, it's, it's very common for fish to start going in a little deeper. You know, the water starts getting a little hotter, mm -hmm. and uh, they don't like hanging out in that shallow stuff because they're just not comfortable in there. You yeah. know, that water temperature rises, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they like to be in a happy, cool environment where they're eating, there's food, and they feel good, and then you can get on them, get on them like that really well. Yeah, so, that makes sense out here in a different environment because if someone's never been, and we'll talk with Brian about this in a minute, to this lower Laguna Madre area, maybe they come from the upper coast like me. And they're fish Galveston Bay where there's a lot of that bay that's 20 feet deep, you know, 30 feet deep and averaging 7, 8, 10 feet deep. Come right. out here, most of the bay you can hop over, you yeah. know, you know yeah. and get yeah. in the water. So a little bit, and we'll, get, we'll go to Brian on this. So I, I would imagine here, and in my experience in shallower water areas, a little bit of depth change in a place like this makes a lot more difference than it would like on the upper coast. Yep, yep, it's uh, very important. There'll be some some areas, you know, where we're getting these these drifts and we're in the shallow water mm -hmm. and we're looking and, you know, we always keep an eye what's underneath the boat, what we're drifting over, what color the water is. If it's crystal clear and you come across a patch of chalky stuff or mm -hmm. something like that, but all of a sudden you start hooking up and you look and you say, okay, we're, we're uh, in the shallow stuff, we're hooking up, we're here, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden the stops you know you mm -hmm. guys are drifting fast and yeah. you look down and it's it's eight inches deeper and you just okay well let's just give it a 
maybe we're just not in them. Let's give it another 10, 10 15 minutes in this drift. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're not catching them. Okay, well, they were in the shallow stuff back there. As soon as we got off the shallow stuff, they stopped, they stopped okay. uh, eating, you know. So mm -hmm. And that's just six, eight inches, which can be a big difference in a flat that averages two feet, mm -hmm. you know, and everything is the same. Everything looks the same out there in, in many ways. Um, if you fish it enough, you'll know different areas and the contours and, and different changes in it. But, you know, even with that being said, as the time goes, we have the heavy winds and the crazy tides and stuff like that sometimes, and the contours of this whole area changes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've been on cruising down flats where it's perfect and easy cruising, and uh, two years later, I, I can't, I got to hop over a spot just to get onto that flat wow. now. Yeah. You know, so things can change out there, uh, definitely. But, you know, just small little things like you mentioned, a six inch and eight inch drop mm -hmm. can be the difference between catching 15, 16 redfish and catching four or five. Do, are trout or redfish more apt to, uh, you know, go with the contour changes more intensely? Or, or is it about the same? Um, it's about the same. I noticed that the, the trout, well, no, I'd have to say redfish, actually, okay. now that I'm thinking about it. You mm -hmm. know, the trout, you know, once you get to a certain depth, they're there. You get a little deeper, they're there. You get too deep, and they, they're not in it. Mm -hmm. You know, the redfish like to stick in the shallows. The big trout, I feel like they stink like redfish, and so the, lots of those big trout are hanging in the shallows. Mm -hmm hanging, doing the same thing that redfish are doing, sitting around mm -hmm. there trying to eat big mullet or whatever mm -hmm. the heck is getting in their way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but in general, I feel like the redfish are probably a little more. A little bit more? Try. Yeah. Now, Luis, you, you said you really, you, know, you lit up when you talked about redfish, which is, which is awesome. Uh, right. I, I'm assuming you do a lot of sight fishing for them here. Well, as good as our clarity is, you I mean, you would think that I would do it a lot. You know, I do get the chance to do it, you know, Yep. spread out times of the year yep. just because i'm so busy trying to put people on quantities of fish gotcha. you know i can't just go target one all the time yeah when i get the chance to i'll definitely throw something at it mm -hmm. you know we have really you know big big areas where it's crystal clear mm -hmm. you can see to the bottom and you can spot a fish you can see the silhouettes of them and mm -hmm. run into schools of reds and stuff out there so definitely i'd love to get that opportunity when i can now what's harder for you because i've had personally just different times where this was opposite but is it harder when you have one red or a school of reds to get up on? Hmm. I'd probably say it's harder to get up on a school. You yeah. know, most mm -hmm. of these schools of redfish, they're used to getting chased. There's so many boats, so much boat traffic on mm -hmm. our flats. And like Brian said, it's only two feet deep in most areas. Mm -hmm. That prop is running right over these fish. So mm -hmm. they're really used to getting chased used to, to watching out, they can feel the presence of a 24 or 20-foot 20 boat. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's also a challenge sneaking up to these fish on your 24-foot boat, you know, with a 250 motor on there mm -hmm. and with three or four people on there is also part of the challenge, you know. Yeah. So you can't just get off and sneak up to them sure. and, and stay on them the whole time. You know, you got to be able to sneak up and position your boat mm -hmm. to get into them. So a lot of times a school is definitely a lot harder because if we have a big flat with – a redfish here, another one there, and then 10 yards later you have another one, mm -hmm. you can work your way into them, you know, mm -hmm. sneak in, use that wind to your advantage and get mm -hmm. into them. Mm -hmm. So that, that does help out, and I'd say it's definitely easier. Yeah, you mentioned the wind being like you can actually use it to your advantage here. Yes. You ever use a drift sock? Yeah, yeah, we'll use drift socks, Brian and myself. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. throw them out there. We get mm -hmm. some strong winds where, you know, you just have to, especially yeah. if you have three or four people spread out. It helps you keep that boat sideways and, mm -hmm. and uh, cover ground at a good pace, stay on fish. Sometimes you don't want to have one, I, I'd say. Yeah. Sometimes I like moving fast because yeah. you got to okay. find them, you know, so, and you've got a big area to, to mm -hmm. go through. So sometimes you need to move. 
Okay, so Brian, let's we gotta go to the snook thing here. Um, you know, snook are something that uh, a lot of people don't realize even we even have in Texas. I mean, it's like you kind of have your own. There are actually snook that have been caught as far north as Sabine Lake. Yep. Uh, rarities. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, you know, a, the smaller snook are sometimes caught around uh, the west part of Galveston Bay, like yep. a freak thing. But in terms of like actually catching snook, it's basically Port Mansfield South. You know where you where yep. it's, it's yep. and I have a couple of friends that catch them here and there up north and on the jetties. Mainly a lot of fat snook and yeah, stuff. It's but fat a real, snook, but yeah. as far as like I, what I call a fishable population, where yeah. you can hire a guide and you've got a legit shot every day at going out and getting one. Yeah, um, is you know probably starting. You know, it can be hard in Mansfield even. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably from the Arroyo down to here, from the Arroyo down. Island. Okay, um, but people do catch them in Mansfield. The jetties out there, there's mm-hmm. some big ones. Um, but it's harder to do it on a day to day basis throughout the year and throughout the winter. We've got a, you know, the Bronzeville Ship Channel here. Yeah. In the winter time, you know, it's 50 feet deep and and snook. The only reason why they're down here is because it's the climate down here is a little bit warmer mm-hmm. than other areas, mm-hmm. and up north they get a, a lot colder. Yeah. And um, so those snook have a place to escape to. They hang out in the thermocline. That's a big thing. Those snook, that thermocline, just like the bass. How I told you, you know, Man, that, that comfortable is this, part of the is water. This guy talking bass yeah. or what? Because yeah. I'm thinking and, thermocline. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so I'm getting scientific on you. I and, like that. And um, and so those, <clears throat> you know, the snook they. They get in that that stuff. They're real sensitive to it, and we've got we've got availability to quick deep water for them with lots of structure. And they're when safe. they're on that thermocline, just because I'm a bass fisherman too, are you guys throwing like crankbaits or spoons um, or something down I'll there? I throw a lot of heavy jigs, one ounce heavy, jigs. Okay. Um, I used to throw a lot of crankbaits, but I got tired of having to change out the hooks. Yeah. Um, because they'll open up the hooks. You'll catch them, but mm-hmm. if you once you hook like a 30 inch or 32 inch, they're going to open up the hooks a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and I would change out the hooks for the you know, for heavier hooks, and they wouldn't run correctly. Mm-hmm. So um, I use a lot of single hook swim baits is mm-hmm. what I like. You mm-hmm. know, uh, DOA Bait Busters is one of my favorite uh, three-inch shad, mm-hmm. you know, purple chartreuse colors. It's a great like trout bait too, by yep. the way. Yep. Yeah, and um, that's uh, what I'm doing from I'm letting it down. I'm counting down, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing a shrimp, a DOA shrimp. I throw a ton in there, whether it's on a weightless, and I'm skipping it under docks and letting it float slow to the ones that are just sitting there, or mm-hmm. I'm putting it on a jig head and letting it sink down 16, 18 feet. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. Now, this time of year, and we're recording this toward the end of May, uh, this will be airing uh, here just in a couple of days, actually. Um, What is the pattern right now? What's going on with Snook at the moment? Um, Well, just like you guys spoke of the transition month, this is a transition month, and I call transition months months where the weather doesn't know what it's doing. It's Mm -hmm. not uh, not 100 degrees every day yet. Like, it's going to be next month. It's going to be 103 freaking degrees every day and it's gonna we're gonna be mm-hmm. dying out there yeah, you know absolutely. but uh and it's not it's not 70 degrees 68 degrees every day like it was mm-hmm. during the winter time you know mm-hmm. so it's it's in the transition some days it's a cold front like mm-hmm. yesterday it was a cold front potatoes blown out of the north mm-hmm. tomorrow it might be nice the next day might be 90 degrees and so these fish don't know exactly what they're doing they're spread out you know so they're a little bit harder to target at times like this along with that these snook are starting to realize that the weather's getting warmer. This is the time of year, May, mm-hmm. late May. They mm-hmm. start to get out of that ship channel deep water area. Once mm-hmm. the water gets a consistent temperature, they feel comfortable and safe to start spreading out to the flats. They start mm-hmm. working their way down. You'll start seeing people catch them uh, like a Puente de Lobo, Lobo uh, or Gaiman Bridge, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And that's like further, um, I guess that's east mm-hmm. of the ship channel, going towards the inlet, towards the jetty, towards the mouth towards South Bay, towards the flats where they like to spawn mm-hmm. and do their thing for the summer. So there will only be about maybe 40% of the total population mm-hmm. inside of the ship channel where probably 80% of them are 
during the winter during the time winter. because they're all getting out there into the flats because it's comfortable and it's mm-hmm. warm out mm-hmm. and uh, they can hang out in that area. They won't spread up too far away up north, mm-hmm. but I mean, there will be some, but not a ton. South Bay will be a place where a lot of them get. A ton of them go to the inlet, hang out on the jetties, mm-hmm. and a lot of them get out on the beach and a lot of them get up into the river uh, south of us about seven or eight miles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have seen pictures of them caught in the gill nets way up the river up there in Mexico and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're just, that's what they're getting ready to do. They're on their way to do that right now. And I feel like by June, they're going to be in their full summertime pattern. Yeah, that, make, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Transition months are no fun. It's like post spawn and pre spawn for yeah, bass. Yeah, you, know, you get a wide, they can be doing anything yep. that day. Yeah, I've got a private pond that I fish a lot. And every stage of bass in the last couple of weeks has happened there. There's still yeah. a few on the beds. There's still not on the beds. And there's some that are just looking at me like I'm an idiot when I throw yeah. it. You know, so now, Luis, you mentioned uh, your love of redfish, you know, called speckled trout. Now, yep. when you have a trip and you're just got maybe a family coming out and they've heard of hey, legendary Laguna Madre speckled trout. Now, the average person that's not a real hardcore fisherman, the 30 inch trout they see on social media is probably actually 18. Hell, real well. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's all about the angles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Trust me, I've done it. But, uh, <laughs> but for the guy, you know, the family wants to come out and maybe just catch a solid trout, you know, a little bit bigger than they may, may catch somewhere else. Right. What would you do on that trip? And what would be your kind of your tactics you would take those people out there, maybe at like beginner, intermediate level fishermen? Right, right. Well, most of the time, you know, I've got people that, they, they can learn pretty quick. You know, yeah. I'll spend some time, and I'll mm-hmm. teach them our style of fishing. Mm-hmm. I'll go through it, and I like for them to do it on their own. I'm yeah. not the type that's going to, like, try to do everything and cast from on every single time. If I can get somebody to do it, yeah. I'm going to teach them through it and get them, help them out. And, um, you know, when I'm targeting these bigger trout, you know, I don't like to be um, when the, I guess you can say dinker trout zone. You know, <laughs> you, know you always want to be in the, where the big fish the dink, are. The dink, <laughs> the dink zone. You want to try to get out of that. Uh, obviously to have a more successful day. So um, a lot of times I'm targeting bigger bait, you know, Um, you find bigger bait, there's bigger predators out there eating them. And um, that's always been a good sign for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you find a couple of good sized trout like that, most of the time they're all together like that. And uh, you can maybe pull out a few dinks out of there, but most of the time you can get some good ones. Um, and well, uh, big trout will eat little trout, so a lot of times oh, little yeah. trout don't like to hang too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a few tails sticking out yeah. from some throats and before, and they still want to eat. They they eat a lot, man. But um, you know, I'll I'll do something um, like a popping cork and a DOA shrimp. That's yep. my go-to man. setup for trout. You know, and uh, it depends. Oh yeah, it, it, it you know they're gonna see that shrimp and they love to eat shrimp all year round so they're they're not going to turn something like that down and uh, the cork is obviously going to help mm-hmm. add some sound and um, that's always going to help you whether you're a beginner or not you can use it at any any level and you, if you just learn how to pop that cork that shrimp is bouncing around down there and sitting at a certain depth depending on wherever we're fishing mm-hmm. and it's just kind of hanging there in the current it's just kind of sitting there floating and then you pop it and it's doing what natural shrimp do when they mm-hmm. pop out of the grass it's yeah. kind of just hovering there mm-hmm. and uh, of course the trout are just going to react to that so uh, my clients will i'll put them on that most of the time and, and it's been real successful we catch lots of trout like that you know it's interesting universally anywhere i fish i always start off with a popping cork and a gulp or a popping cork and a like a doa shrimp, DOA shrimp yeah. and uh, i have when i wrote my book texas trout tactics about 11 12 years ago, uh, I needed a few really big trout photos, so I went with a friend of mine to Mansfield, and another friend of mine who worked in the industry needed some pictures of big trout for a catalog shoot. Okay. And everybody's throwing corkies. We're all throwing corkies out there. This is when I, this is when I converted <laughs> to the popping cork. And he goes, I'm going to go out there with a plastic and a popping cork and catch a 30-inch trout. Wow. And everybody's like, no, you're not. And this guy's 
That's Mark Davis who does Big Water Adventures. He gets out there, and in five freaking minutes, <laughs> he has a 29-inch trout wow. on a popping cork in the flats. And I was like, okay, I can, I'm going to start studying this a little more. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, and I love is, that. And yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think uh, someone who's maybe not like really skilled at plugging, you know, or whatever, yeah. can get that cork gig pretty quick. And oh, it's yeah. so they can have confidence. Also, they can throw that thing a long ways. Right, right. Yeah. And usually when you start off with a cork and you get perfected, you get good at it, that builds all of your skills, all your other skills. You land mm -hmm. fish like that, and mm -hmm. then they're ready to try something else. Yeah. I'll jump over to a jig head. You mm -hmm. know, I'll just t take the cork off and throw a jig head, and we'll throw a DOA swim bait or a, a jerk shad mm -hmm. and uh, bounce it around, pull it over the grass, and that's where these trout are hanging out, and, mm -hmm. and they come out and get it, you know. It's, it's pretty good. It works out. Uh, so, Brian, you mentioned tarpon. Since my logo is a tarpon, we got to talk a little bit of tarpon here. And yeah. uh, what South Padre um, part of the world's podcast about fishing without mentioning a tarpon? Because people do know this is the best part of the state for tarpon as well. Yeah. Or Isabel fighting tarpons as the high school yeah. mascot. Yeah. Uh, that, see, that's cool. You got a tarpon as the mascot. I mean, you got to yeah. love that. You know, there's a great tarpon alley on the upper coast, and there's yep. some good fishing at Port O'Connor as well. But consistently, you guys have a you know more of a consistent fishery down here. Uh, so, what time of year? You said you were out looking for tarpon this morning. I saw a tarpon at the jetties, uh, mm -hmm. about three and a half, four footer. So, what time of year does that start happening? Um, it depends what kind of fish you're actually going for. If you're just trying to catch a tarpon, yeah, uh, I guide for tarpon year round. Hey, uh, we can catch juvenile tarpon, but you know during the winter time they're smaller, anywhere from two pounds. Up to like twenty five to thirty pounds. Hey, that's sweet. <clears throat> I can deal yeah. with that. They're pretty cool. They're pretty cool when you're when you're fishing for a snook or something, and yep. all of a sudden the tarpon comes flying out. It's a bonus fish. Yeah, that's a fun. real bonus. Um, but as far as getting the big ones, it starts right about now. Okay. Uh, I was looking at my Facebook memories, and I caught my first migratory fish, which was like about 60, 70 pounds last mm -hmm. year on May fifteenth, mm -hmm. and that's about that time. You know, um, they start migrating. They're coming through, and uh, usually you'll get a lot more. I don't guide for them comfortably until mid-June. Okay. Because, I mean, they're here. We can go out and catch them. I could take my friends to catch them, but you've got a very good chance of getting skunked. Sure. And you got a very good chance of getting skunked tarpon fishing. Because well, they're tarpon. They're tarpon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just this time of year, there's just not enough of them to yeah. where I'm like, there's a ton of them. We might come across a pod of 60 of them, and we're hooking up, you know? Uh, not until mid-June. And uh, they got bigger. That's They start getting bigger as it goes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in September, you know, August, September, Mm -hmm. October, that's mm -hmm. when the, the big hammer dogs are here. Big 200-pounders, 180-pounders, 150-pounders. That's it's hard. Yep, it's hard to find one under 130 pounds uh, that time of year. Luis caught his first one with me. That was probably 165, 170 pounds. Jeez. Um, you know, we caught one uh, two years ago on an artificial that was definitely over 200 pounds. Wow. Um, it was close to what I believe to have been the, the record at that time, but I didn't think it would shatter it, so I didn't think it was worth harvesting that fish to do unless you absolutely yeah, and kudos, positively kudos know. Kudos to you for that because um, a lot of we don't know it about It was tarpon. legal length to, to, to do, harvest yeah. it, but I, yeah. I didn't because I felt like I'm not going to do that unless it absolutely shatters that's it. the record. That makes sense. Um, so we let it go, but, you know, uh, that's, that's getting to be tarpon time right now once it starts getting hot and sticky out we start august september like i said it starts mm -hmm. getting calm a lot of bugs and things like that it's it's go time those tarpon are going to be coming up they're going to be rolling and uh they're special fish they mean a lot to me yeah you know it's really cool we actually do some partnership on this podcast with the bonefish and tarpon trust mm -hmm. so we run a public service announcement every episode to talk about tarpon permit and bonefish habitat so cool yeah that's uh, really cool to be you know they're such a a really interesting fish my 
fascination with uh, tarpon came when I was a kid. I mean, I was fascinated with everything that swims and flies and crawls and climbs up mountains, you know, lives in the forest. Nothing's changed. Haven't grown up yet. But uh, yeah. I was back in the day, you mentioned, you know, not killing the tarpon. That was a killing them was a common thing, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, now you, get, to, now you can get a replica. It looks just as good. Yep. Uh, and I go to this bait camp in Bridge City, Texas, on the Upper Coast, and Rob Bailey, who owned the camp, this old curmudgeon, this old gripey guy, was like, little Chester, and my dad was named Chester, too. Come here, I want to show you something. I'm like, Rob's being nice. What's going on? And uh, he takes me to a freezer. There's like a six-foot tarpon in the freezer. Some guy caught mm-hmm. 18 miles offshore, and it was like, for nine-year-old me, this was like looking at Jaws. I was like, this yeah, is the coolest monster. thing I've ever seen in my life, you know? Yeah. And interestingly, I mentioned that on my radio show that I do, and the guy who caught that son came up to me at a fishing show and goes, that was my dad's fish, which mm-hmm. was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so he talked about living, you know. So, But now it's a different ethic, and we know a lot more that we can put those fish back yep. and things like that, yep. which we're, is a really good thing. We're putting them back. We're trying, to, we're trying not to pull them on the boat if they're, mm-hmm. if they're a really big one, yeah. you know, and we're – trying not to lip gaff them. You mm-hmm. know, I've never lip gaffed one before. I know all, a lot of the old schoolers do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of those guys are 65 years old, you know, so yeah. I'm not getting mad at them because they don't want to stick their hands <laughs> in a tarp in a 160-pound fish's mouth off the side of their boat either. So, um, but, yeah, we're trying to stay away from, from that kind of stuff and at least teach the, the younger mm-hmm. kids and promote now, Luis, to take t- care of them as much as we can. You, you know, you said you caught a tarpon. Tell us about your tarpon you caught real quick. I mean, this is oh, yeah. this is not a small, minor detail. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's not. Just like Brian says, you know, like he said, it's our mascot. So, you know, you're growing up hearing about the tarpon. You know, it's yeah. it's it's legendary, you know, for us. And we're all our life, you know, we're taught how strong they are. And you never really truly um, understand how good of tarpon fights yeah. until you hook one and fight mm-hmm. one. And uh, this was, what, maybe about two summers ago? And uh, we went out, of course, and, and I hooked this big tarpon. And uh, mind you, this was after fighting one for 30 minutes already, and I yeah. lost that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I hooked this one 15 minutes later, and I, you know, it was my second ever tarpon hooked. So Brian was there coaching me, and uh, you know, t- I've never fought one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I'm not letting this guy go. And uh, I mean, I mean, the, the line, I mean, the line was like ripping out, of course, for a long time. And mm-hmm. it was just the best, best feeling ever. You know, you've got uh, big fish like that jumping out of the water and shaking hooks in front of you and trying to trying to get off. It was about an hour and 45 minute fight. And uh, wow. I mean, I was busted. My my forearms, I had muscles that were sore in my arms that I'd never been sore before for like two weeks. But uh, it was well worth it, you know. Yeah, just landing that fish and being able to hold the jaws and get a yeah. good hold of him and get a look at him up close was was pretty awesome. It was a real special moment. Absolutely. What kind of gear were you using? Uh, we were, you think it was like an 8,000 uh, 8, Shimano Spheros, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a Terramar, that's right. That's, yeah, yeah. That, that is a heck of a fight. Oh, man. Tell me, man. It was amazing. I'd, I'd do it again. Absolutely. I'd do it again, definitely. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. biggest fish I ever caught was a, a white sturgeon. Wow. in Oregon, and it weighed about 300 pounds. Uh, and wow. it jumped like a marlin or a tarpon, and, wow. which was crazy to see a bottom fish do that. But we were, like, <laughs> winching them in. We had, like, you know, 100-pound braid and, yeah. and stuff, and, and we're using the boat, you know, wow. and we're able to get on top of it. So it was like a 25-minute fight, you know. Yeah. It wasn't that way. When you start hearing an hour-plus fight, I mean, that is yeah. epic fighting. And, you're, you know, we're talking about, like, a <laughs> workout. Oh, man. I mean, Brian was had, had to, like, pour water and gator <laughs> in my mouth while I was fighting this fish because I did not want to let go, you know. It's like a Rocky cut his eye and give him some Gatorade <laughs> and send him back out to fight. Right? Oh, yeah. That was, that was awesome. I couldn't have done it definitely without him and with his experience on it. And definitely, you know, he's – 
it was like a dream come true for me for sure to to be able to land that fish and I held on with every last ounce of energy that I had to not let go of him when I had him on by the boat because I was wasted already, man. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 the worst thing ever is to fight a fish that you really want to catch, mm-hmm. and at that last moment, I'm not really that hooked. Bam, you know. <laughs> Happened oh, with yeah. me once with about an eight-foot-long hammerhead, oh, uh, and uh, it was offshore at Port A. I just wanted to get it to the side of the boat and get a good picture of it, and we are going to cut, you know, let him go. And it got right close to the boat. I fought it for 30 minutes. It just looks at me. And it, it had never it had never actually been hooked. It was holding on to the bait. Wow. And it just opened its mouth. And the hook's off the side right here. And I'm like, you that mad at that fish? You know, what's going <laughs> on? And so I was heartbroken. But wow. uh, I'll wow, get over man. it. So I'm glad yeah. that you didn't have that traumatic experience. <laughs> no, no, maybe not that severe, <laughs> no. But at least you got to see. You probably still have that yeah. like screenshot of him in your mind if somewhere. If I could print that mind of mine. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd awesome. be good. You definitely got to have pictures for sure. Got to well, prove it. You know, the amazing thing is, guys, you guys came off the water today, you know, and I've been out messing around all day, drove seven hours to get here. Yeah. But when we started talking about fishing, we lit up. Oh, you yeah. know, and you guys work this. I work in the you know wildlife hunting and fishing industry my whole life, and it's still when he gets out to being on the water, doing it, it's fun. And that oh, yeah. at the end of the day, that's what counts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we love what we do. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're out there whether we have a guide trip or not. Mm-hmm. You know, we have days off. We're out there fishing. <laughs> you know, trying to stay on the fish, learn, have fun. Most of all, you know, a lot of times we can't bring them in ourselves because our clients are bringing them in. So <laughs> we get we have to just sit on the sidelines watching everything happen. Yeah, watching people bring them in, and it's good to get out there two, three times and bring them in ourselves. So, so just to kind of wrap up for you, Luis, um, why should someone come down here and fish in South Padre Island? Well, I definitely, I love, I'd love for somebody to come down and see what we've got to offer. You know, a lot, most of the time, people are really surprised at the the clarity and the the beauty that our our island and the water has to offer. So, yeah. it seems like everyone that comes down is uh, really impressed, and uh, I think that everybody should come down and try it. Definitely come try to catch some reds and trout. And catch some tarpon and snook with Brian and all, right. all of the above. All right, Brian, Mr. Snook and Tarpon, uh, give us a reason to come down here. And other than 180-pound tarpon, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I truly honestly believe that this is um, one of the best fisheries and most unique fisheries in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the crystal clear water, yep. and it's got a lot of different opportunities. We've got a lot of different species of fish, mangrove snapper, snook, tarpon, redfish, mm-hmm. humongous trout, you know, uh, and there's still not a lot of people down here. It's mm-hmm. not. It's 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 an extra it's an extra couple hours drive, sure. you know, yeah. from from the big cities and stuff like that. You were out here. Uh, it's one of the like I said, it's one of the last frontiers down here. You know, there's not a ton of stuff going on. There's not a ton of big boats out there yet. You know, you can still go out there and be by yourself and hang out and and enjoy the this down here. It's crystal clear. It's beautiful. Love it, Brian Luis. Thank you for coming on the Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yep. Right. Thank you. It's been said that bonefish provide us practice, tarpon provide us excitement, and permit provide us humility. But what can we provide them in return for so enriching our lives? Our support for the science behind the fight. Our support for Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Please join us today at BTT.org. These species' well-being depends on it. You've been listening to Higher Calling Gulf Coast with award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist, Chester Moore. Email him at chester 
at ChesterMoore.com. Check out his wildlife writings at HigherCalling.net and find him at TheChesterMoore on Instagram.